Hey there, badass. Welcome to the Leading Rebels podcast, your bi-weekly dose of inspiring advice dished up by kick-ass female leaders. I'm your host, Catherine Dell, and this is episode four of season two. An interview with author, coach, and facilitator Vanessa Judelman on how to lead in today's fast-paced world. Leadership is a journey. Sought-after author, coach, and facilitator Vanessa Judelman has helped thousands of people to navigate that journey over the past two decades. She is noted as an expert in industry and has been published and quoted in The Globe and Mail, The National Post, and is a contributor to CKNW Radio. Vanessa has achieved successful change outcomes with organizations such as Campbell Soup, Motorola, the United Nations, and Bank of Montreal. Real quick, before we dive into the great interview, I wanted to share something with you. We're all busy with a capital B nowadays. I know I am. But even if I'm running around between work, events, meeting friends, I still want to miss out on yummy and healthy home-cooked meals. One thing I hate, though, deciding on what to cook and going food shopping. That is, I used to until I discovered HelloFresh. They deliver me weekly cook boxes with all the ingredients already portioned to make delicious meals. Problem solved. <laughs> if you want to try them out and save some time to focus on the important things like being a good leader, I've got a coupon for you to get 20 euros off your first box. Just head to leadingrebels.com slash HelloFresh. Plus, by using my link, you also invite me to a meal. Now, isn't that nice? <laughs> Again, that's leadingrebels.com slash HelloFresh. Now, let's dive into today's inspiring interview. Welcome, Vanessa. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. There's an amazing book that you just recently brought out on leadership, which is how we got connected and which is why I would love to chat to you. But I wonder, maybe you want to introduce yourself first to the listeners, a little bit about yourself, what you do. Sure. Glad to be part of the podcast today, Kat. So my name is Vanessa Udelman. I live in Toronto and my I've been running my own business for the last seven years. It's called Mosaic People Development. And what I do is I go into organizations and I develop their leaders. And it's, it's work that I'm very passionate about because, you know, a lot of leaders and organizations are really ill-prepared and walk around organizations, quite frankly, very unconsciously. They're not really aware of how their behavior impacts the people around them. And they're also really haven't had the tools that they need to to be really strong leaders. And, you know, Kat, I've seen over the years that that people leave organizations because they don't like their leaders more often than they leave the organization. They leave their manager. And so I'm really privileged to have the opportunity to go into organizations and teach people really the practical tips and tools that they need to excel as a leader. That's exactly, I think, what our listeners are striving to be as well, which I think is always a great first step of people being aware of it and saying, hey, I want to improve or, um, you know, grow into becoming a better leader. But what I'm super interested in is how did you get started in this? What brought you to this topic and, and ignited your passion, so to say, to create better leaders? Um, yeah, I always love hearing about people's career journeys. So my career journey actually started out as a teacher. I taught at-risk youth in high school. And uh, in Toronto at the time, there weren't a lot of jobs. So after working for a couple of years, my job became non-existent. And so a friend of mine was working in a training and consulting firm, and she got promoted, and they were looking for somebody to replace her. So I was fortunate enough to get that position and worked in a training and consulting firm for nine years and really learned the business. I went back to school. I did my master's and really learned the business from the ground up. Um, I also have worked in organizations as a leader myself. And so 
when I left the consulting world, I thought, you know, it's enough telling people how to be a leader. I need to be a leader myself. And I did that for five years, um, worked in corporate. And the advantage of, of having that experience is that I had people on my team who loved me and loved my leadership style. And to be honest, Kat, I had people on my team who didn't like me and didn't like my leadership style. I had some successes. I had failures. And I really learned how challenging it is to be a leader. I also, after I came, I think a lot of women can relate to this, but when I came back from my second maternity leave, the organization went through a lot of change. And I had a new leader that I reported to who, to be quite frank, made my life miserable. Um, and having had that experience and going from a high performer in that organization, I actually became somebody who was pretty depressed and didn't want to go to work. And the only thing that changed, it wasn't me, it wasn't the organization, it wasn't the job. The only thing that changed was my leader. And so it was that point that I actually left corporate and started my own business. And so why am I passionate about it? Because, you know, having been a leader myself, I understand how challenging and complex leadership can be, number one. And number two, having had the experience of, I would kind of call this person a, a boss that's a bully, I also understand so intimately how, you know, the fact that leaders really impact people's lives, either positively or negatively. And I never want anyone to go through what I personally went through at the hands of an awful, awful leader. So it, it has become my life purpose, really, to to create self-aware, balanced, and, and really conscious leaders. I love the fact that you went back and uh, into the corporate world, as I said, to to try out the things that you were teaching before. And I'm sure that's also brought you humongous insights afterwards. And as you said, also knowing what it feels like, A, to be a leader yourself, and B, also how you can suffer under bad leadership, which is unfortunately an experience that still way too many people are still having. So I think anybody um, that can emphasize with you there is, of course, much more impacted by the work that you do. Absolutely. I'd love to know. So in the last, I mean, seven years is a long time to, I'm going to say quotation marks again, be doing this work. What has been some of the things that um, have popped up again and again? And is that maybe also why you decided uh, to write and publish this book? Sure. Yeah. So that's a great question. Because I work across the globe with leaders from all types of industries, I, I have a sort of a unique perspective, which I talk about in the book. And I get to see some some trends, some, some literally global trends. Um, so some of the problems facing leaders today are, are at a macro and a micro level. So when we look at a macro level, it's things like massive organizational change. So I call it change fatigue. Leaders are going through so much change, Cat, that they're tired from all the change. It's like a change layered upon a change layered upon the change. So this causes stress for leaders, plus the global workforce, Right. Um, so many of my clients are global. You know, I have um, a client who is a leader in a global organization, and her team is based in Toronto, Sydney, Australia, London, England, and v Vancouver in British Columbia and Canada as well. That's a lot of time zones. Well, that's the point, Kat. And so I said to her, you know, what, what are one of your biggest challenges? And she said, well, try scheduling a team meeting. Like, when, when do I actually do it? Because there isn't a time in the day where everybody on my team's awake. That, that's causing leader stress. And I would say the third thing is also sort of 
new business models that are, are, are prevalent in organizations. You know, the old way of work where, where leadership was very hierarchical is breaking down. People don't want leaders that are, that, that approach leadership from a command and control perspective. They want leaders who are open and collaborative and, and sincere and trustworthy. And so it, it is leadership looks different now than it did certainly when I started out in the world of work. Yes, which is why I really loved your subtitle of the book, which is what it takes to lead in today's fast-paced world. Because what you've mentioned about change uh, being quicker and quicker, and to be fair, not looking like it's going to slow down anytime soon, but it's just accelerating. You get to this point of how to manage it, what to focus on, and trying to figure out where to set your priorities, which is I'm, I have a feeling it's something that your leaders also struggle with. Is there maybe any advice that or any tips that you've given them on, okay, there's so many things on your plate, there are so many different things that you could give your attention to, how do you decide which are the ones to focus on and how to actually do that fully without being distracted every second by something else? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so I was actually just talking to a group of clients in Toronto about this exact topic yesterday. And, you know, prioritization is not rocket science. But what I find is a lot of leaders don't take the time to think about what I call their critical goals. So the first thing when you when you want to prioritize, you have to get clear on what's most important. So you have to identify what your critical goals. I actually have for each quarter three critical goals that I type out. And I print and I stick them on the wall of my office. So every day, so first of all, you have to identify what your critical goals are. Then I, I, I suggest, and I'm getting really tactical here, that people write a to-do list every day. You have to get that information out of your head. And whether you write your to-do list on a piece in a book, on a piece of paper, you know, if it's done on your computer, um, on Outlook or whatever it is, it doesn't matter write a to-do list every day. And then I, I use a, um, a tool called the ABC method of, of identifying your priorities. So A are those tasks that are most important and urgent. B are either important or urgent, but not both. And C are not important today. And so it's actually, it literally takes one minute to write down your, your to-do list and do your ABC. And what I always tell people is focus on those critical, the most important A priorities first. Because what happens is a lot of people do the easy stuff quickly. Like, oh, I can just fire off these 10 emails, get them off my list. But these are B or C items. And then they get stuck in a meeting. And then they get um, called to help a colleague. And, and oh, no, now it's 5 p.m. It's the end of the day. And I haven't done the most important thing that I need to get to, to get done. Oh, so now I'm staying late at work. Or now I'm going home. I'm putting my kids to bed. And I'm working till 1 in the morning. It's just not healthy and it's not sustainable. So one of the concepts that I, I teach all my clients is that time management is actually self-management. You have to be able to manage yourself in relation to time. And doing your to-do list and, and being clear on your critical goals and prioritizing every day is a super way to to self-manage. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's one of those things that we neglect because we say, oh, it's all in my head. I know what, my, what are the things I have to do. But we forget how much of a like background stressor it is to have this list running. And, you know, and it is actually true when things are on your mind, you don't give them weight. It's just a list of these are the 50 things I have to do. But once you've broken the down, once you set into the sections of 
most important and urgency and all these things, then that actually dissipates. So that's something I absolutely couldn't agree more. It's super important. And I also wanted to get back a little bit of the story that you told about um, your friend, because I think that's also a very prevalent uh, topic, as you mentioned, is globalization and how are we managing teams across different time zones, across different cultures. What has been your experience there of what are some some good best practices? You know, virtual teams certainly are really challenging. And for for many of my clients, it's, you know, number one, they use technology. So Slack, for example, is helpful. Number two, they tend to have more one-on-ones. And number three, they tend to fly their team members to be together in person at least once a year to do a, a strategic planning meeting and to really set our goals. So it has to be a combination of both face-to-face as well as technology to keep people aligned. And you got to stay really organized. You know, communication needs to be really, really high. So I, I love a lot of those tech, the, the tools out there that technology has to offer that can keep us really organized, um, whether it's Google Docs or, you know, there's there's a list of um, lots of other tools, Basecamp, et cetera, that people can use to to communicate. So it's definitely a combo of high-touch face-to-face or phone-to-phone and also use Skype and use Zoom conferencing and a lot of organizations have blue jeans. Like use those tools um, so you're not emailing all the time. Make the effort to actually face-to-face. Yeah, I think not, I think as much as we have so many tools that can almost never be replaced and I hope will never be replaced because the, the connection that we have from that is very different to to anything else. Vanessa, what I also wanted to ask you was, you know, this is a leadership podcast, but also specifically focused on women. And as you mentioned, you've worked with teams around the world and with all types of people and genders. But what have been maybe some of the differences that you've seen, um, if there are any, between women and men in leadership that you would like to specifically talk to the women listening? So that's a great question, Kat. And I work with as many women leaders as I do men. And so what I find is there is an inherent difference with with female leaders. And it's actually tested through science. One of the tools that I use with my clients is called HBDI. It's the Herman Brain Dominance Instrument. And what the assessment um, identifies is our thinking styles. And it does show that men tend to think from what we call the, the left brain, um, quadrant much more than women, which is all about analyzing and measuring and problem solving and understanding technical elements. And women tend to think more from the, the sort of limbic right brain, which is much more around being intuitive with people, which is fascinating. It also allows women to be more supportive, friendly, empathetic, and people-oriented. Now, as a leader, don't you want leaders to be more intuitive with people, friendly, supportive, empathetic, and people-oriented. Absolutely. So I really do think that women naturally bring the skill sets to the table. Now, does it mean that men don't? Not at all, because I've actually worked with plenty of men who have the skill set as well and prefer to think in this way as well, but we do see it um, in a higher level of predominance with women. And so when we're naturally bringing the skill set to the table and it's a preference for us to live that way, it just means that we're a step ahead in terms of our leadership. 
after the seven years, what brought you to the fact that you were like, okay, I've had this experience and there's this commonality to see and that you wanted to write this book? And what was maybe on the one side the motivation for it? And on the other side, what was, what is your main goal with it, so to say? So the reason I wanted to write the book is because um, I wanted to share the unique perspective that I have with people and that I do, because I, as I mentioned before, Kat, I do work globally with people in many organizations. I have this bird's eye view of what the, the trends and issues are facing leaders. Um, and I also see a lot of low engagement and poor performance and low retention that results from poor leadership. And so I really poured my heart and soul into this book and I really wanted people to see like, here's what's happening globally. If you're feeling this, you're not alone. That was one of the key motivators. And the second piece of it is, so what? Now that we've identified what the problems are, here are some practical, tangible ways that you can work on developing your own leadership practice. So those were my two goals for the book. I love it. And as because I have been fortunate enough to read the book, I know that you've built this around of the what to do around a model that is on three pillars. Do you maybe want to uh, quickly intro what these are and why you think you why did you build your leadership model around these three? Absolutely. Sure. So I have a, a model that I created, as you mentioned, Kat, called the Mastering Leadership Model. And I'll tell you a bit of the background of how this model came to be, and then I'll mention the pillars. So when I worked in consulting for nine years, I had seen every competency model under the sun. And what I found was most of these competency models were, were very complex. So leaders had to memorize 25 competencies and implement them all. And, you know, it's too much. And so when I started my own business, I thought, okay, people remember things in groups of threes, right? So my model is going to have three pillars. And so what I did, it took me a couple of years to actually develop this model, but I have in my office a stack of folders from every client that I've done coaching with. And it's probably about three feet high. And I went through every single one of these um these these client notes uh, that I'd taken and identified key issues. And then I thought about every book on leadership that I've read and every TED talk that I listened to and all the research I'd done over my career. And I summarized it in this model. And so for me, it really came down to three core things as a leader that you have to know. Number one is know myself. That's pillar one. And it's all about self-awareness. Number two is manage my team. So when you're the difference between being a leader and an individual contributor is when you're an individual contributor, it's all about you. But now that you become a leader, your job is to get results through other people. And then pillar three is called lead my business. And that's all about managing change and, and being strategic. Um, so it's pillar one, know myself, pillar two, manage my team and pillar three, lead my business. I, yeah, I completely agree that the simplicity is what is always the hardest to achieve, but the most important. I think people forget how how difficult it is to narrow down a gazillion different things into those three. But as I can also test that I have seen so many models with so many characteristics and you're supposed to be all these things, which is overwhelming, that definitely makes it super easy for readers uh, for listeners to focus on so do you maybe want to touch on very briefly what 
each pillar means. So if you saw, if you say know myself, that's of course can apply to a lot of different ways. But I'm assuming since this is a leadership <laughs> book that you mean in terms of leadership. Is there maybe one tactic that you think? Because we don't want to cover the entire book, <laughs> but maybe one thing that you think listeners could do to start out to learn how to do this. Sure, sure. So, know myself is about is about being what I call a conscious leader, and so it means I wake up every morning and I think about my behavior and how it impacts the people around me. And so, how do I often know what my behavior is? Um, so. You know, in, in my mastering leadership program, I actually get people to do an assessment tool and I would definitely recommend people do that. So, and, and probably many of you listening have done an assessment tool like a Myers Briggs or a DISC or, um, even on, um, Strength Finders, you, uh, the Gallup organization has a great tool called Strength Finders where you can identify your top five strengths. It's $19 US. It's an amazing tool. So use a tool to help you identify what your strengths and weaknesses are. And what's helpful about that is uh, I find when people leverage their strengths, they're just happier at work. And if you also have a team that reports to you, you need to know what your team strengths are so you can help them do work that leverages their strengths. The other thing you need to do is, is really be clear on your weaknesses. So um, you can mitigate some of your weaknesses. And I, I really recommend people focus more on strengths than weaknesses. But when we talk about when we talk about strengths, one of the key things that people need to remember is that your strengths when they're overused actually become weaknesses. So I'll give you an example. What I mean by that is let's say somebody's really direct, right? So Kat, do you know someone who's direct? Absolutely. Yeah. So what are like what do you see as their strengths and then what do you see as their weaknesses when they they overuse this directness? Oh, I think I'm getting very much the direction that you're going, which is very true. It's like they're very direct. So, you know, what what is to be done? It has to be, you know, what the problems are, what the solutions are, what the process is, so to say. And then on the flip side, however, that can also have come across as maybe rude or inconsiderate because there's no softness somehow around exactly, yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. That, that's exactly it. So we all have those areas that we overuse and they become weaknesses. So it could be being direct. It could be being too analytical. And so it's great to be analytical because you're very thorough. But if you're too analytical, you go into, go into analysis paralysis. So the tool that I teach people to use is called dialing it up or dialing it down. And once you've identified this area that you overuse, which becomes a weakness, you want to stop overusing it. And so I never, I never want people to change who they are because I, I really focus on not changing who you are, but bringing your best self to work every day. And so how do I do that? I've got to dial something up or dial something down. So when, so let's use, let's go back to the example of someone being really direct. When you're too direct, you need to dial down your bluntness, right? Yes. You need to maybe dial down your need to be in control. Maybe you need to dial down your bossiness, whatever it is, right? You need to figure that out. What do you need to dial up? Okay, let's see. You maybe need to dial up your patience. Uh, maybe you need to dial up your listening. And so do you see, Kat, how it's not a matter of changing who you are? It's just being conscious of your behavior and tweaking it so you are bringing your best self forward. 
That is a great explanation because I've actually never considered it that way in the sense that we're always told, like, you know, you should improve on these things and, you know, try to stop doing these things. And I think that's a lot harder for people to do because, as you said, it's inherently who they are. So not taking this approach of it being very black and white and, and, and do this, don't do that is, I think, very helpful for people to also feel like they can make gradual progress. Like, it's not like you didn't do this today, so you failed. But it's like, okay, you did it better than last time, but you still have, of course, room for improvement. But it can be a gradual process. It's always a gradual process. You're absolutely right. And and I think that's important for people to remember, too, is that when, you, when you're working on, on self-development, on changing or improving yourself, it could be you could focus on just one thing for two years. Right. Like um, for me personally, one of the things I've been focusing on for probably 10 years is my sarcasm. So I had some in my 20s, I got some really difficult feedback from a manager that she said to me, you know, Vanessa, you're very sarcastic and some people find your sense of humor hurtful. And I was blown away. I was like, what? Because that was not my intention at all. So I grew up with two brothers and that's how I am with my brothers. Like we're, we think we're funny. But what I realized is that not everybody gets sarcasm, nor do they like it. They find it hurtful. So it was a really tough lesson for me to learn, hurt my feelings, which feedback sometimes does. But I'm so glad I got the feedback because now I decided at that point not to use sarcasm, sarcasm at work at all. So I use humor. I love humor. But I've cut out sarcasm. Now, now to your point, it takes time, right? So do I slip every now and then? Am I sarcastic? Of course, it slips out. But I'm so conscious of it that um, – and it is ongoing. That's super interesting. I wouldn't have followed it that way, but you're absolutely right that – also, I guess sarcasm is a very personal thing. So if somebody doesn't know you 110%, it, it can't be easy to misunderstand. I, I definitely will count myself in that camp as well. Uh, talking about the two other pillars, I would love to maybe know how you help leaders differentiate between the two. Because I imagine some of them say, what do you mean? I mean, managing my team is leading my business. There's, I don't see a difference between one and the other. How do you help them differentiate between the two so that they don't get mixed up? Sure, sure. Okay, great question. So managing my team pillar two is really the people side of leadership. So it's coaching. It's developing your people and it's creating a team that's really high performing. So to coach people, um, I need to know how to listen. I need to know how to ask powerful questions. I need to, to know how to help people solve their own problems. Um, also, managing your team is part of managing your team is, as I, as I mentioned, developing people, which means I as a leader have the tools to move people all the way from developing to fully developed. And so, again, a lot of leaders, it's their job to develop people, and they know that, but they don't know how. And that's what I talk about in the book, like how do you move people from developing to developed? And then finally, the, the third pillar is, is the, the third piece is creating a high-performing team. Any leader who has a high-performing team has taken their people through a step-by-step-by-step-by-step process. And so, again, I, I go through that process in the book. And there's checklists. Like, you, you don't need to figure out how to do it on your own, right? There's people who've done research on creating high performance and what it looks like. And I've taken that research and put it in the book in step-by-step-by-step. By step by step. 
Okay, I think that's a super important differentiation because I also feel like when people say they want to work on their leadership or when they think about improving leadership, they only think of the people side in the sense of like, okay, that's how I can help others and do these other things. And they don't see it necessarily as such an integral part because they think it's an add-on. And I think the way you've set this up kind of shows like, no, this is like your full-time job. It just has different sides. And one big side is, of course, being high performing so that you can, you know, reach the business goals that you were put in place to reach. But to do that, you also have to consider these two other sides. So I think it's very smart to set them up that way. For sure. Yeah. And then the lead my business, the third pillar is really about being strategic. And I've had so many leaders over the years say to me, Vanessa, you know, my boss has told me I need to be strategic, but I don't know what that means. So we break down strategy, you know, strategic. The reason people don't know is because being strategic actually has three different components. There's strategic thinking, there's strategic planning, and there's strategic execution. So the next time your manager says to you, um, be more strategic, ask them, well, what do you mean? Do I need to like think more strategically? Do I need to, you know, do more out of the box thinking? Is it more around the planning? Is it more around the implementation? Is it looking long term? So we break down strategy and that's the lead my business piece is that you have to know how to lead change because as we talked about before, it is constant and it's not going away. Um, we have to, and we have to know how to think for the long term and build a plan to implement strategically. So that's the third pillar. Of course, your book is an amazing resource, which I will <laughs> send everybody the link to so you guys can check it out. But as you mentioned before, also, you have been an avid learner all your career, which I think is amazing. I love <laughs> lifelong learners. What have been some resources that throughout your journey or throughout your time developing all these ideas and the model and everything have helped you and you could recommend to others to also try? Oh, there are so many. Okay, so right now I am really into Brene Brown. Anything by Brene Brown. I'm going to spell her name. It's B-R-E-N-E, Brene Brown. And she talks about things like courage and vulnerability. In fact, she has one of the most downloaded TED Talk. And it's all – It's if you Google or go into YouTube and search Brene Brown vulnerability, um, listen to her TED Talk. It really is life-altering. And why I love her work is because she talks about the fact that leadership requires a lot of courage – and a lot of vulnerability. And I was talking to my clients about this yesterday because one of the individuals brought up the fact that she had given somebody feedback and she gave it over email and it didn't go well. So we talked about the fact that you can't give feedback over email. You, you just can't. Like it's got to happen face to face. And could a number of things go wrong when you give feedback? Of course. Does it, does it require courage to give feedback? Yes. Do you need to be vulnerable and, and lay your heart on the line when you give someone feedback? Yes. So I love Brene Brown's work because she, she gives people permission to live courageously and, and vulnerably. So that, that's one of the, the books I reckon, one of the authors who's, I just voraciously read everything she writes. Do you want me to mention a few others, Kat? Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, I was going to say, like, uh, Braving the Wilderness was my favorite read this year so far. So I'm definitely with you on <laughs> on the Brene Brown appreciation. Um, and I will definitely also include all the links to the listeners. Yeah, is there anything else that maybe in the past, is there maybe a tool that you've used that you discovered that was new to you that you didn't know before? 
Yeah, you know what? One of the best books that's tool-based is The Situational Leadership by Ken Blanchard. And situational leadership, he talks about a four-quadrant model to to develop your people and to delegate. And what I love about the situational leadership model that Ken Blanchard talks about is it identifies the fact that as a leader, I need to actually flex my style based on where the learner's at. So when I'm teaching somebody to develop, let's say I just delegated a task of um, writing a proposal for a client. And even if someone's been on my team for two years, they've never written client proposals before. So I can't just throw it at them and say, please go write the proposal and give it to me when they're done because likely they're going to give me something that's a piece of crap. I'm going to go, what the hell is this? It's terrible. Well, it's your fault because you didn't delegate properly. So in situational leadership, what Ken Blanchard looks at is how to delegate properly. So you diagnose where the person's at. So if they're brand new to a task, you have to be very directive, step by step, give them lots of detail. And as they've done it three, four, five, six, seven, eight times, you can move to a more supportive approach, which he defines very clearly, which is much more collaborative. And what do you think? And I find many leaders err to one or the other. They're either super directive and they can't chill when someone's up on the learning curve or they're super supportive, but they're not giving people enough detail and direction when they're brand new to a task. So that's certainly a book that I would recommend that's very practical, that, that provides a tool. The other one I would just say, which is um, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is just one of those books that's been around for years and, and is amazing. I love it. And I love that we now kind of have the two sides of the coin. I would say the more like emotional side of like how you're conveying all of you and being vulnerable and honest with, with who we know around. And then maybe also the, the tactical approach of what to do and how to go on this journey with people. Absolutely. Well, Vanessa, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been an amazing conversation. I always love giving my guests a chance at the end to say any parting words that they want. So if there's anything you want to leave listeners with, this is your chance. Yeah, I would love to live, to leave you with the message of choosing curiosity over judgment. What I see a lot of leaders do is walk around their office or their business if they're entrepreneurs judging other people. Why didn't they do this? Why did they make the mistake? Why didn't this happen? And so what I would suggest you do is drop the need to judge because, quite frankly, none of us are perfect. We're all just humans doing our best every day, trying to do our best. Replace judgment with curiosity. So walk through the day being curious. I wonder why this person took this approach when they made make a mistake and ask them. Instead of saying, what did you do? You know, why did you do this? Say, let's talk about the approach. I'm curious. Walk me through your thinking when you leverage this process. So that would be my final word is drop the need to judge and replace it with just that natural sense of curiosity. Perfect. I love that. I think it's also going back to our roots when we were younger of being more curious about the world around us rather than having this preconceived notions about how everything has to and needs to be. So perfect. Well, thanks so much, Vanessa, for taking the time. It was a lovely conversation and I'll be sending everybody uh, how to reach you and the amazing work that you've done. Thank you so much, Kat. It was a pleasure chatting with you today. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. And I would love to hear from you. 
What key takeaway from today's episode especially resonated with you? Let me know on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook by using the hashtag LeadingRebels. I look forward to continuing today's conversation with you there.